Pam Ochoa, I have a question for you today. And my question is this. What is a, like a, a time of day, a, a, a temperature, a season, any one of these things that is prone to give you the most nostalgia for something, right? So I'm thinking of like, you're driving around, it's 1 a.m., a cool breeze comes through and it's a little chilly and all of a sudden you start thinking of Halloween or like a specific time frame that made you happy. Is there any like type of weather or season or time of day that is more likely to trigger uh, Pam Ochoa going down memory lane inside of her own head? A little nostalgia for something. Well, not sure about the nostalgia part. <laughs> But I, I will tell you that I do love fall and I love spring. As far as nostalgia goes, um, I don't know. I think when it's when it's just the perfect weather, like when it to me, the perfect weather is like 78, 82, right in there. And it does remind me of when I went to stay with my sister out in California, uh, down in San Diego area. So we we stayed there. For, I, I stayed there for a whole summer. Uh, and so as far as nostalgia, that was it. But while I was there, there was an earthquake. I was in a 7.5 earthquake. You would bring an earthquake. Of course. Of course, a big one too. Two years later was the, a different one, but it was the Joshua tree. And later when I was teaching uh, geography, we'd gotten new geography books, which are now outdated by the way, but we got new geography books and I'm and we're studying because when you do geography, you have to study the phenomenon of the earth and how does how does um human you know humanity in art and how they're impacted by that environment and what do they do to adjust to it and sure enough there it was 1992 the joshua tree 7.5 earthquake and it was in the geography books and i was like class i was there they're like what i said i was there on that day i woke up that morning it was early in the morning it was five it was, it was like I think it was 4.58 in the morning. You're going to look this up, aren't you? <laughs> Joshua Tree. Anyways, in the Yucca Valley. But anyway, it was four, like 4.48 or 5.58. I can't remember the time exactly, but it's 58 something. Anyway, and I wake and I mean, it's almost like I was dreaming, like I was on the earthquake ride in Universal Studios because I've done that. And uh my glasses at that time, I was wearing glasses all the time. And my child was little and uh, he was just a baby. And so anyway, everything was just rocking. My sister comes running down the hallway. She looks in the room and she goes, are you okay? Are you okay? This is a big one. Well, I had never been in an earthquake before. I didn't know whether it was big or not, but she said, this is a big one. It's lasted for almost a minute. We got to get out. And so I'm like, I can't find my glasses. And back then it's before I had all my surgery. So I could not see distance whatsoever. So I had to, I was on my ground. I was on the ground trying to find my glasses. And at the same time she's yelling, we have to get out. 
I grabbed my son, I got my glasses, grabbed my son and ran out the door. And I said, well, where's your husband who was the native of California? And she goes, he just said, I'm going to just stay here. Now, what's funny about that is he doesn't get out. The rest of us get out. The whole entire neighborhood is out. Because when you're in the city, you want to stay in the door frames and stuff because the buildings can fall on you. But if you're in a building that can fall, you want to get out, especially if you're not in high rises. So we're in a neighborhood. And uh, and so now it's a, it was a block party all day long. It was a block party. And uh, because everybody was out, because once you have an earthquake, it just it just tremors about every minute. We were having an aftershock about almost every minute after that. Then on that same day, about three hours later, now remember my brother-in-law was like, oh, I've already handled lots of earthquakes. I ain't getting out. Okay, so he's a big tough guy, right? He don't have to get out, but we're all, he's all out with the party. We're all now grilling and whatever we need to do because you're not going in the house. It could fall on you at any moment. So, so we stay out and everything. And while we're on the porch, actually my son, he was taking a nap and he was taking a nap in the the living room. He was, he was in for a little bit and in his crib. And so all of a sudden it was like somebody had, you know, if you hit a table, it just knocks everything down. It's almost like we were just hit. Like if you were on a table and it got hit. And uh, anyway, I run in to get my son. So I run in because it's panic my time. I run in to get my son. My brother-in-law, he, we hit each other. He's trying to get out. And I go, he goes, my house can't handle the big one. My house can't handle the big one. <laughs> I got that. What it was no big deal. So anyway, I grabbed us and I definitely go faster. And uh, I did not go back in after that. But um, on the news, they were all saying like, well, is this the precursor to a bigger one, the eight one, you know, or is this just, you know, whatever. So by the time you're finished with all of that, you're scared to death. But that was a second earthquake, and it was six, I think it was a 6.5 or 6.3 earthquake, and it happened in Big Bear, and that we were closer to Big Bear, because they were, my sister, she lives closer to the mountains. So I was in two earthquakes in one day, two separate earthquakes in one day. Uh, My brother-in-law on the big one was not so scared, but on the one that was closer, he's running, uh, knocks me down, almost knocks me down. And so thank you very much. That's my nostalgia lane that happened by me thinking about my favorite time of season. Does that work? With your Absolutely. Question? This is the Crafted Trap Podcast. That's been what your hope Jacob Chess say with two educators down here in safe Texas, doing what we love talking about reading writing workshop and so much more ladies and gentlemen if you're hearing this you're listening to part two of this conversation go back last week if you missed it check out part one because we're talking about how teams why teams don't effectively plan last week we did a lot about what makes the not planning happen this one is more about how to make that planning actually happen. So if you haven't heard the first part, go check it out or listen to this one and vice versa. It doesn't really matter. I believe that you could listen to these in any order. But last week was part one. This is part two. This is a new format for us. If you're not uh, if you're not following along, right, we used to do these big, long episodes and we still might. But we want to we try different things here on the podcast. We want to do some different stuff. And believe it or not, we have data to support this decision. Can you believe that, Ochoa? Our data suggests that the vast majority of you listen to about 35 minutes of a podcast episode. 
uh, which means you're skipping through or doing something else. We don't really know. So guess what? We're going to give you that time frame of podcast and see if that helps you a little bit. It helps you maybe consume the content a little bit more. Maybe it's just better for your commutes. I don't know. If we don't like this, if you don't like this, let us know. We will change it back. But if we see some positive growth with this, if we see some positive feedback from you guys, we'll keep this format and we'll just keep evolving because we don't do the same thing over and over again in our classrooms. And we're definitely not going to do that on the podcast. We'll keep evolving. Keep making things great for you. But thank you for those who support us over there on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash craft and draft. Just like Donna, Amanda, Matt, Jen, Lori, Hannah, Andrea, Tracy, Susan, Natalie, Lori, Destiny, Melissa, Carol, Courtney, Rebecca, Sarah, Amy, Mark, Leah, Brandy, and Alicia all do. Go join them over there if you have not already. Now let's go get to the conversation. Well, wait, before we begin, mm. are you there? Yeah. Did you look it up? No, I didn't. You told me not I to. I thought you were looking it up. Oh, you I told me you not were... to. I wanted confirmation that I was telling the truth. Well, oh, that's all right. Everybody else can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, I mean, what, how do you even start building a effective team? Because, and this is something to get to your academic coaching life, I'm sure is going to uh, start playing a huge role in this conversation. But I think that's just the interesting thing. So I was talking to uh, when I, so last year when I came on as an administrator, uh, like our teams were pretty solid, right? Not every team was operating at a high, super high level, but uh, they were, they were doing pretty well. And so it was really just kind of tweaking some stuff uh, to just kind of increase some of that effectiveness. And then this year I was having a conversation with the teacher uh, of one of our teams that were trying to uh, just get to a little bit higher of a level. Um, they're doing well, but they just need some some little refinement. And she goes, you know, I feel like it's more important. She's like, I feel like the conversations right now are are more focused on and that it's more important for us to be doing the same thing rather than doing the right things. And I thought that was such an interesting uh, observation. Um, and I think like what I've tried to do in my time as an administrator is just listen to what the teachers are telling me because that's not my teams, it's their teams and they're the ones who need to function well. And that was really difficult for me when I was a literacy coach several years ago, I was not able to stand there and listen. Really? It was me going, no, this is how you do it. (laughs) And trying to make it go that way. Um, and it took a few years of just maturing and just, uh, kind of developing my own capacity to listen to what people need to be effective. Cause it's not important that they necessarily do what I need them to do. It's necessary that they do what makes them happy as educators, but within best practice and moving forward with kind of the goals of the campus, the district, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's difficult. That is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I'm still learning how to do it. And I'm, that's really where a lot of my focus has been is just trying to meet people where they are and, and move them forward or help them move forward rather. Um, and I, I guess that's kind of where my mind is at these days, but when it comes to you and you've, you know, think about a time where you were pulled on to help a team that really wasn't effective and they were like, all right, Ochoa. You know, they just kind of hand you the plate and go, have fun with this mess. <laughs> you know, what What did you find that were some of the just like core effective practices that led to fostering more of an effective team environment? 
Well, I think some of the best teams that I've been around, I'll just start with there and then I'll go maybe answer your question. But one of the things that I think really helps a team is if they really understand their purpose for their meetings. In other words, they they have a common purpose. They have to know why they're meeting and what they're meeting for and what what is the end result? I mean, what kind of end goal are we going for? Because it's just like, you know, I, I sports, I'm just going to use that as an illustration. But if somebody is starting a game, right, and there's a halftime and there's an ending, you got to know when that is. So we usually use a clock, right? Or we use quarters. And so you, and then you reassess each quarter, let's say football or basketball, you reassess each quarter, or each half, what you need to do and you make adjustments. And I think, I think teams who have those moments in place and they know what their uh, clear purpose is. So like, um, I'm thinking of a math team that we had and, you know, you've, you've seen those, that particular math team, but we had a, a smaller sixth grade math team that just, it didn't matter they were always working it it they just were always working and i think part of it is the the ladies that and these were all ladies in this particular case but i think the reason that they were working so well is because they understood their purpose they knew they they understood the curriculum really well they were also they were not young to be honest they were well-established educators that were good in their own classroom without each other already. And then they respected each other in such a way that they were willing to share ideas because they had the confidence to share those ideas with each other. So maybe that you'd call that trust, but they knew that each other was good, but when they worked together, they were better. And I think, too, we had pretty strong expectations. They knew exactly what they were supposed to be working on, when they were supposed to be working on it. They understood data and how it helped them drive their decisions with their with their planning. And so and we had a schedule in place that told them when each quarter, if you will, was going to take place like when we needed this data turned in, what we needed to do with it. Now, over time, that was with, and then I also had an assistant principal at that time. And I don't think you ever had the opportunity to meet that particular principal, but that assistant principal that I worked with, uh, the the actual principal told him that whatever I needed the instructional coach needed he was going to make it happen in other words he was the support and even the heavy if we needed that and so I would have to turn my schedules into him and I'm the one who created the schedule for the group that the quarter thing you know what I mean and then the expectations and then he's the one who we together decided what needed to happen, how it needed to happen. And he approved or disapproved of anything that I did. So he was the one that questioned me. And of course he probably had his, you know, the principal would talk to him. So we just had this hierarchy, if you will. But then they were, they were very clear about the fact that they needed to do what I asked them to do. Does that make sense? And so, but we set it up in such a way that they made their own self agendas so they made their own agendas we just told them look we need these things done in your plc 
Uh, these are the questions you have to answer. And we used a fours, four questions at that time. And that was, what do you need to, what do the students need to learn? What do you do when they don't learn it? What do you do when they do learn it? And then I, all of a sudden I lost the last one while we're talking. So that happens. If you think of it, you probably know it. So if you say it, but anyway, but we had those, those questions, right? And uh, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do when it doesn't work? So how are you going to refresh? And so we use those questions and, and we had those very simple and that's that's what we we did. And these people at this particular time took it very seriously. Now, I had a science group because, you know, I, t I did all the subjects before we got there, but it was still with the same uh, leadership structure. And uh, I had a science group that didn't trust me because I was English. What they didn't realize is I'd, I had taught seventh grade science. So they didn't know that I'd already taught science. So they didn't trust me. So as a result, every time we would go in there, they would go, okay, we're going to do this, this, this. Okay. Yeah, we've done it. All right. Bye. And then they would leave in the first 10 minutes. And they were like, oh, wait, Matt, we did what you said. And as a result, uh, that was pretty rough. And part of it is they didn't trust me enough to think that the process was going to work. They thought it was stupid. Well, in the meantime, my other groups of people that were actually doing the process and stuff, we ended up getting recognized by the state, you know, with our, we, we got whatever the uh, distinctions. Yeah. So we got these distinctions from the state. And so my science was still lagging around. Well, one day they were like, uh, we're having trouble with this because we got our results back from the year before from the from our benchmark test and they were still scoring low in the same areas, but they refused to meet. And so as they said, I said, well, if I were teaching it, this is what I would do. And they were like, well, can you do that? And I said, well, yeah, they said, I go, when do you need my help? Because I was just trying to get them to trust me. And they said, well, um, next class period. Can you put together this group assignment? And I was like, oh my goodness, I had 10 minutes. I ran to my office, grabbed whatever I had, put together a lesson in 10 minutes and went down there and taught it. Well, we ended up on the next benchmark doing really well on that section. Well, after that, they were like, oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, can you start coming into our meetings more, you know, more? And so they started meeting. And then the other thing is, is my principal was asking, how is it, how is it going down in science? And I said, well, why don't y'all come and see, but you better get there in the first 10 minutes. And so then when they started checking in, then this group started meeting and then they were able to follow uh, our little if you will, my little schedule or my little uh, four quarters thing, since I'm using that, my little game structure. And next thing you know, the very next year, we got a distinction with them. And that's because they work together. So we did at one point have almost the whole school individually working together. And we also started working across where uh, I would have my English department go see the history department work while they're teaching. And so we would have them actually go visit each other's rooms and we did things like that. And but before you know it, we really had uh, as many distinctions as you could get before we left there. And, uh, and as a result, our principal got moved to another, to a high school somewhere. <laughs> so we lost our principal, but uh, but anyway, I, I felt like that was a very successful time and we did do it by working with, uh, strong teams, but it didn't start out immediately. So I think I think your people have to trust 
the leadership. And I had to get in there and actually show them that I knew something and make a difference. And so I, I almost think you almost have to be servant minded. You have to be willing to do the work with them if you're a leader. And uh, and I think when they see that, they'll be more apt to do what you want them to do. I don't know. That was a story and some things. No, 100%. Like I, you know, to go back to first year's admin, new guy, young, comes in, ideas, energy. And then, you know, instantly I was like, oh, okay. So we're, you know, they're not fully accepting things. Okay, so let's go slow. And let me prove to them individually that not only am I, do I know what I'm talking about, but I'm willing to listen and do the work with them. Yeah. I'm not going to sit there and say, hey, go do this. I'm going to say, hey, let's do this together until you're comfortable. Um, also, I took like a note from, and I think, by the way, I think for someone who's listening to this, who's like a department chair, I think you do this as a department chair too. You don't have to do this as an admin. Um, right. You can do it as a coach too. I know we have literacy. Well, I, yeah, I was a coach this. when I did that. I wasn't yeah. an admin. Yeah. And also yeah. did some similar stuff when I was department chair. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. So like we have, like, I think that any leadership role, what you can do is bring your people in and listen to what they want and then let them build it themselves. Like yeah. say, Hey, this, this is the way we're going, but how we get there is up to you. Like how, how do you want to do that? What's the most effective way for us to move forward? Like, so for me, I really wanted our teams to start using data, uh, in, in an effective way. And so that was my non-negotiable, how we got there, what that looked like and everything else was really up for debate in terms of them. And so I brought in my level leads and we talked about it. I said, okay, so this is how I do data dives. And I said, going through this process with me, what should we keep? What should we change? What will work with your teams? And so they took what I kind of did, modified it, and then brought it to their people. Um, and so they built it, even though it was kind of something that I was saying, hey, we're, this is what we're going to this is what we're going to do. Um, it led to an effective use of the time. It led to an effective implementation because they had their hand in crafting kind of this process. And I think you can do that as a department chair in which we did. Like when I became uh, a department chair, I had a principal who trusted me. And so we created these teams to where it was like, we're all going to move in this direction, but within your team, within your style, you go forth and conquer. And as long as you have results, um, nothing is really ever going to be questioned. I don't care how you get somewhere. I have philosophical leanings and I think that things should happen in a classroom. Um, but it doesn't mean that just because I have those doesn't mean it's the only way to do it or it's absolutely correct. I do that with my current, uh, one of my department chairs that I work with, uh, her and I disagree on a handful of fundamental things, but not in a contra like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? a, a conflicting way. Like we don't sit there and battle, right. We'll kind of like go back and forth for a hot second and they're like, all right, well go do go, do what you need, you know, but like, cause we know where like the line is and it's nice. It's a great working relationship. And I think people can do that. I have, uh, I've had people on teach me teacher, for instance, who advocate for practices that I just think aren't the way to do it, but they talk, they say they have good results and whatnot. And I think there's multiple ways to skin a cat, right? There's multiple ways to get something done. Um, I can't believe you said skin a cat. You know, I have two. I have one. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> just, I was just thinking about poor cats. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's a weird phrase. <laughs> right? An idiom? Like, well, I wonder where it comes from. I don't know. Here, can we can we look real quick? Are you serious? I've stopped what? you for that. <laughs> just real quick. Oh Multiple ways. <laughs> He's look, poor this is just lying over here, not fighting. Multiple ways, skinny cat. Getting along. The origin, more than one way to skin a cat, goes back to the 1600s. Oh, wow. It's a long time ago. Suggests that there may be several ways of doing something. We often say there's more than one way to skin a cat. The goriness aside, how did they ever choose an innocent cat as the victim of this heinous act? Well, I was wondering. Oldest known use of the phrase dates back to... Oh, so this is saying 1800s. The oldest known phrase dates back to the works of author Seba Smith, and is coined as early as 1840 with the money diggers and way down east. It's interesting. 1854. I don't know. It's weird. Okay. <laughs> well, one of the things that doesn't make <laughs> group successful <laughs> is when they go off on tangents. <laughs> we were just modeling. <laughs> that is true, though, right? Because it'll be like something happens. And then, like, this person is off in the weeds, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, you know what? Also, I guess the last thing that I think creates a positive uh, <laughs> culture about all of this stuff is just setting norms for what should happen in meetings. Oh, right? yeah. I Definitely. think that is it's it is absolutely necessary. Now, if you've been with the same team over and over again, that norm process can go a lot faster. But I think where a lot of people, a lot of teams struggle is they just don't say, hey, this is what we're going to do in PLC. This is what we're not going to do. Like there's there's times when we're meeting when it's fine to Google, you know, an idiom that someone says and try to go down that rabbit hole. But it's also like if we have 45 minutes to really hash out some key details or hash out a planning calendar or hash out a, a test or whatever that we're trying to do, um, then we need to do it in that time. And if we're not, then that's when the leader needs to hold everyone else accountable. Uh but I think they those norms are are vastly important. Um, and what made me think of norms was saying like a, a, assume positive intent, right? But that's mm -hmm. that to me that's like a norm. It's you come to these meetings. It's like no one is here to make kids' lives worse, right? No one is here right. to to have bad lessons. No one wants to leave this meeting and go, yeah, that's gonna be awesome. Those kids are gonna be put to sleep in five minutes. Um, and that doesn't mean you're gonna agree with everyone. But I think just setting those things and moving forward. I think that really does create, um, effective teams. Does that mean every PLC meeting is going to be positive? No. Does that mean every idea is going to be something you want to take away? No. I also think that flexibility should be mindful. I do that with my teachers now <laughs> is we, uh, what? Hey, keep going. Finish with the sentence. I'll tell you why. I, uh, our, teachers like we because they're they redid curriculum and so it's always the natural push for like you know we got to stay within the bounds of something you know where we're, we got to stay on the scope and sequence etc 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 and i've had teachers this year who i hired because they reminded me a lot of me and they were like well i just feel restricted i don't you know they're like i feel like i'm in a box and i was like and i was like oh, i'm listening to myself i know how to navigate this and so we went through a lot of these conversations where um 
I was at telling them, I was like, you're never going to get in trouble for like, as long as you're staying within like the, the big ideas of stuff and not just going off, going rogue, then, uh, I can help you and you're, you're going to be protected and we're going to work through these things and you're going to be free to be you as an educator. And if you end up off on this slightly side thing, as long as you're within the scope and sequence and the standards and the beliefs of the district, then you're good to go. Um, but yeah, I, I think freedom, norms, all those things. I think that leads to teams that uh, are not stifling of each other and move in a positive direction. What was your idea? My, my little moment. Mm-hmm. Well, it was I had did a I did a bulleted list. I didn't stay with my bulleted list, but flexibility was on there. So I put purpose. We've talked about most of these purpose expectations, which I think your norms, but bigger expectations and then maybe like your norms. And then I did goal setting, flexible, being each, everybody needs to be flexible, everybody. And then uh, you need to feel supported and you need to create it yourself. So uh, that was on my, and just to show you here, let's see, I did probably do a bulletin wow. list. So kind of helped me know what I want to talk about. But I thought it was interesting that you said flexible. It was like, I looked down and there it was. It was like, yeah. great minds think alike. That's right. I don't know if people call us great minds, but... Okay, well, maybe not, but, you know, it's a saying. Another idiom. <laughs> you want to find out where that one goes? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just playing. Oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Craft the Draft podcast. Look at that. We gave you two sides of a coin here. Did we not? The good, the bad, how it fails, how you triumph. Let us know if this helped you. Who knows? Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. That's Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We're two educators down here in the state of Texas. Doing what we love. If you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash craft the draft. You can find that link in the body of this post or on the website or just check out Patreon. Go support us over there. You get bonus episodes, bonus content, and so much more. If you can't subscribe, leave a review. Tell your friends about it. Thank you for giving us the biggest month of craft and draft ever. It's always encouraging when we suddenly see a boost of things. It makes us want to turn on the microphone. Not that we don't anyway, but you know what? Seeing growth is always a positive thing. So thank you guys for listening, supporting, and coming back every single week. And know that we are here for you. 